Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates during events like General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery. We want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us on this journey as we learn what it means to be Free Methodist in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. Hello, 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 and welcome to FMC Radio, episode 42. Okay, that was that was me, for sure. Um, so, welcome to episode 42, and uh, we are here to do a few things today. We're going to be uh, talking later on about our fourth area, our fourth strategy of the Free Methodist Church, Cultivate Health. We've already gone over Disciple Deeply, Embrace All, Develop Leaders. If you didn't hear those, you can go back to previous episodes and listen along. Um, but uh, Cultivate Health, it's one that, you know, I wasn't, when I when I first read that, I was like, oh, that sounds like a boring topic to go over, right? But actually, it's pretty interesting. Stuff that we're going to be talking to John Grandy about later on from Dalton, Ohio, the things that we're going to be speaking to him about are actually pretty exciting, pretty interesting, and I can't wait to uh, be able to share that with you here in a short while. Um, before we do that, though, a few notes, a, a little bit of news today, and this isn't uh, this isn't a really breaking news story. This is something that happened a little while ago um, last month, but I did want to uh, uh, point out the life of uh, Jamie Hamilton, and if you're unfamiliar with the name, I, I don't believe I was ever able to meet Jamie Hamilton. She was 55. Uh, she had worked for many years at the Free Methodist World Ministry Center, um, and she just passed away on December 28th after a battle with breast cancer. Um, it was a peaceful passing, according to uh, what I'm reading um, from, from the denomination, and uh, she was so involved at, uh, with so many different areas. Um, she was administering the John Wesley Seminary Foundation grants. She was involved with administrative services for the Free Methodist Chaplains Association. She edited the yearbook. She was she she had her hands in a lot of different areas. Um, certainly will be missed by those who knew her and those in the denomination that didn't even know her because of how many things she was involved with. Um, that that. You've probably uh, seen some of her work or been a part of something that she was involved in and not even known it. Um, for me, of course, something that stood out on uh, the, the page of, of memories uh, and the, the page that talks about her life is, of course, her enthusiasm and her collection of both comic books and Disney pins. You know, if you listen to this show, you know that's something that stood out to me right away. I personally have a huge collection of Disney pins, and so I, I, I wish I would have been able to see uh, Jamie's collection of Disney pins because that just sounds great. I, I, um, I would like to trade some. I would have liked to trade some with her. Um, she was a member of John Wesley Free Methodist Church in Indianapolis, and uh, she will definitely be missed by, by all. Um, I wanted to also this morning uh, give a recommendation for a book that sounds like a very extremely boring uh, book title. Um, the name of the book is John Wesley's Class Meeting, and it's by a guy named Michael Henderson. Um, and actually, I was assigned to read this book for the uh, Wesleyan theology class. And so many of you who maybe have gone through the CMC ordination process, may be familiar with that book, may have read through the book. Um, I, 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 I'm 
slightly interested in history, I suppose. Um, here and there, I mean, I, I'm okay with it, but it's not my favorite thing. Um, and so when I started to look at this and realize it's going to be mostly a historical book, talking about the life of John Wesley and the things that he came up with, I thought maybe this would be hard to read through or it would be a boring book. But it's actually extremely interesting, um, not only to learn kind of the background of the founder of Methodism, but just the way that it's told as well. There's some things in there that I would have never known. Um, so, for example, um, you obviously have heard the name very likely if you're in the Methodist Church of John Wesley. Even those who are not in the Methodist Church, that's a that's a big name. John Calvin, John Wesley, these are the you know big theologians that that people discuss and talk about. Um, so there's the story here in the book, John Wesley's class meeting, about um, how John Wesley was essentially conceived. And obviously we know we know we know how that happens between a man and a woman. Now that's not what I mean by that. But here's the interesting here here's how it how here's how it came to be. And I'm going to read this uh, quote from the book. It talks about John's father Samuel, and he had a, a temper. It sometimes was he got angry about the the seemingly to me the dumbest things. So it says once. When his wife refused to say amen to his prayer for the king, he demanded an explanation. After she explained that she would not acknowledge William of Orange to be the rightful heir to the throne, Samuel declared, If that be the case, you and I must part. For if we have two kings, we must have two beds. And it seems like that might be a joke, like him saying, like, Hey, we're going to sleep in separate beds if you, if you don't believe in the king that I believe in for, this, for the throne. Uh, but he was actually serious. He departed for London and he stayed there for several months and he actually left home, John Wesley's father. And so it says the source of their disagreement, King William died that year and then Samuel returned after a few months. After he kind of cooled off, he returned home. And less than a year later in June, John Wesley was born in 1703, the child of their reconciliation. So they were all they were apart. They were angry about this stupid thing, this this you know politics, and they come back together, you know, sleep together, and they have this reconciliation. And because of that, John Wesley is born. So I thought that was kind of a interesting birth story, an interesting uh, story of how he came to be. Um, I don't know if uh, you know. I, I, obviously, they shared that with someone. If it was just a stupid thing that between a married couple, this would never have been printed later on. So obviously, maybe they thought it humorous later on. Um, I don't know if they told the story and thought it was funny, but somehow the word got out because it's now public knowledge. Um, but little things like that are interesting to me. And then, of course, you know, beyond that in the book, there's a lot of uh, really interesting uh, um, just things that, that not only about John Wesley personally, but his methodology and the way that he did things um, can, I think, be definitely applied to today and really help uh, your, local your local church today to, as we're talking about later on, cultivate health. Um, so let's go ahead and take a break here, and when we come back, we'll be with, with John Grandy, and we'll be talking about that idea of cultivating health.
Welcome back to FMC Radio, and we are here today to continue our discussion, our look into these nine strategies, um, these nine areas of the Free Methodist Church that really kind of uh, explain and 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 give us a little deeper look at why we're doing what we're doing, the things that we're trying to do here. Um, today, we're going to be talking about cultivate health, um, and we're going to see that some of these areas overlap. Um, we've been talking about that these last few times. Like It's not just its own thing today. When we're talking about cultivating health, you're going to hear overlap between that, between discipleship and, and um, embracing all. And all the other things we've talked about already are going are gonna to be a part of what we're talking about today in Cultivate Health. And so we're here today with uh, John Grandy. He's in the Ohio Conference he is now, uh, his official title is the Discipleship Pastor. We're going to hear a little bit about that in a moment. But he is at a church called Living Water Dalton. It's a campus. There are two campuses in that church. Uh, thanks for being on with us today, John. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, yeah. You Are you originally from Michigan? I am. Don't hold it against me. I thought so. <laughs> and I don't know if I knew that beforehand or not, but I just, as you were talking, I could kind of tell from the accent, so... Yeah, go blue. I, I hear stuff about it all the time here. Well, but, yeah, we don't have to go that you know, far or anything. To, but. We're supposed to love our enemies, so I, that's what I tell people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. All right, well, so so tell us, um, and I know a little more than, than the average person listening, but uh, tell us, tell me a little bit more about your history um, leading up to what is now this, this uh, recent change to being a discipleship pastor here. Um, but tell us kind of what led up to that and then what your current role is there. Sure. Well, it's my origin start in a unique place. I grew up in the Catholic Church. Um, my parents were both Catholic and grew up and went through uh, the 1970s and the kind of charismatic renewal and the Spirit of God moving through um, not just the mainline churches, but also the Catholic Church and, as well. And so I had a very um, unique upbringing of a Spirit-filled Catholic Church and um, had a great history there. And um, so I Grew up there, became the youth minister there at my home Catholic church when I was 19 and started leading youth ministry. And kind of backing up for a second, when I was 12, I got invited to um, an Assembly of God youth group, and it was there that I met Christ in a personal way, committed my life to Him, and uh, attended that youth group through middle school and high school. So I've got this Catholic roots and these Assembly of God roots, and then went to Spring Arbor University in college and got my bachelor's degree in youth ministry. And um, so I guess with the three faith traditions in my background, you could call me a spiritual mutt <laughs> if you want. <laughs> no, but um, okay. all joking aside, you know, these experiences have given me a passion for unity in the church and seeing how we can come together, you know, around our different denominations and faith traditions and say, hey, we're all on the same team. You know, we're moving the kingdom forward together. And so mm-hmm. really appreciate that about um, about my history and background. And so from Spring Arbor, um, I, I was contacted by um, Living Water and asked to consider um, becoming the director of student ministry and um, went through the interview process and everything. And uh, that was you know, kind of meant to be. So when I graduated, I, I moved to Ohio and became a full-time youth pastor here at Living Water. Did that for five years and was privileged to, to rebuild the program. It was going through transition. 
And uh, so I was able to build it back up to health. And, um, you know, the topic of our conversation is huge even for that because we had to heal um, some brokenness, some hurt that the students had from a lot of transition and leaders kind of coming in and out. And, um, you know, weeds grow fast, but they die quick. But healthy things grow. And so I had to realize, like, it's going to take years to, to make this thing healthy. And it took about three. So we started seeing some good growth um, in years four and five. And that was exciting. And then at the height of that, I <clears throat> handed that off to um, our new youth pastor, uh, Jason Boyer, who's also part of, he was part of the Michigan Conference, and now he's here um, at Living Water. So in 2014 really? is when <clears throat> I became a campus pastor at, at Dalton, which is our original campus. And that's before we launched the new campus, we were preparing for multi-site and, you know, you want to have a, we'll talk about this in a minute, but multi-site changes everything. And so, you know, you want to have systems that are set up to help you thrive as a church. So if you have campus pastor in Maslin, which is our second campus, it's helpful to have a campus pastor in Dalton to have similar roles that can lead the church forward. So that's what we did, and I oversaw the direction, the spiritual direction of adult ministry, small groups, our discipleship classes, and I oversaw our kids and student ministry staff. So <clears throat> juggling a lot of plates, but it was good um, to step into that new role and be stretched and grown. And then as, as I was campus pastor, just really enjoyed meeting with people and discipling them, helping them move forward, and um, started pursuing what it means to be a life coach and help people develop goals uh, to move forward stronger. So I started doing that kind of on the side in 2017 and, and loved it so much that I said, you know what, I think I need to start moving in this direction as well as working um, at the church. So we had some great conversations with our lead pastor, Mark Hurst, and, and he uh, and the staff um, allowed me to transition to part-time discipleship pastor um, starting here at the beginning of 2018, and now I'm, I'm life coaching part-time as well, and uh, that's it's going well. I'm getting new clients and helping people uh, move forward, and it's, it's very fulfilling. So that's kind of the new adventure that I'm in right now. Hmm, wow. Yeah, there's a lot of things that, that I didn't know um, that, that were interesting to me that you were talking about. Um, and, and a lot of these things, as we continue on talking here, are we're going to kind of, I, I think, I mean, I'm talking about life coaching, of course, when we talk about church health, these, this is making people healthy. This is something that we're probably going to return to. Maybe you have some stories or some, some kind of things from that, that even in this short time, um, that, that you've already been able to see how can this life coaching um you know, improve the health of the people in the church. Um, For sure. It's pretty cool. Um, you know, you have so many different people working in in two campuses with Living Water, and I didn't know uh, John Jason Boyer was there now. Um, that's more recent, you said, just as the end of this year? Uh, no, it's it's been a few years now. I think what? No. we're going on three years. I yeah. have no idea how I ever looked at it. I, I think the first time I ever met Jason was with you in uh, Colorado when we were planning FMYC that one year. Yeah, um, that's right. And that's pretty well, cool. And the, you know, part of the selfish thing for me is I needed another Michigan fan down here, so <laughs> I was all about him coming. Okay, so that was the main reason for that change. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, so you, so you've just moved into this kind of new role more recently, and before that, being a campus pastor, um, most people, uh, I think, 
I may be wrong, but I think most people are unfamiliar with um, not necessarily what a campus is. I mean, that's a pretty self-explanatory thing that there are two locations of of one church, um, but it may be unfamiliar with the day-to-day runnings of how that works um, and and what challenges or or benefits there might be of being a campus pastor. Um, I'm sure. currently a campus pastor of a church in in Youngstown, and so I know um, some some things that I'm getting into these first four months. Um, but what would you say are the challenges and benefits of of being that campus pastor rather than that traditional one location uh, that most people would be familiar with? The first word is, uh, you know, change, and people normally don't like change, which we'll talk about in a few minutes here, but when you become multi-site, everything changes. There's almost nothing that stays the same about your church, so you have to be willing and ready to, you know, deal with the challenges that come with with change, Um, you know, such as you can't refer to your church anymore as, you know, just Living Water Church. It's Living Water Church Dalton Campus or Maslin Campus, and I, you know, I'm the Dalton Campus pastor was before, mm-hmm. and and you know you've got to give two addresses, and you've got to, like you just have to think differently about uh, about who you are. So there's challenges in communication, even as you communicate with you know the outside world about who your church is, um, even within the church, you know, making sure that everyone is on the same page at both campuses, um, even the language that you use um, is important. So, you know, you can't say, I, I go to the Dalton Church, I go to the Dalton Campus, and the Maston Campus were both part of the same church. And you, and we don't even like using the word main campus. So technically I'm at the main campus, but that infers that Maslin is subpar to the mm. main campus. And so I don't know if you even caught it, but I said the original campus a minute ago, because... Yeah. I want to make sure that even as I talk about us, that we are one church, you know, and that we are working together as equals. And that's, I know I'm kind of splitting hairs, but that's really important because even in your own mind, if you start to think of one campus as superior to the other, it starts to show through in how that second campus feels. Like you don't want them to feel like the redheaded stepchild, you know, like you want them to feel like, this, the brother or the sister, and we're doing this thing together. Um, so that's a challenge, but it's also, I think, a benefit, um, which we'll talk about in a minute. But another challenge is just unity. Like, you know, because there's two campuses now, you have to work hard um, to be unified in your vision and your values and what you're going after as a church. Um, there are certain initiatives that are just campus-specific, and then there are certain things where you say, we're doing this as a church. Um, and we'll talk about a few of those too, but you know, what are, and, and being very clear about that so that there isn't this expectation that both campuses do everything, right? There's some freedom to say, you know, this campus needs to focus on this specific event for that community. Um, but then there's these big things, these big initiatives that we want to go to go after together as a church. And even that creates unity to say, we're pursuing this vision together. Uh, and there's some, some synergy that's created there that's pretty exciting. The, I think, for me, the biggest challenge um, is letting go of ego. You know, there's this incredible team approach that you have to have. And so um, Nathan McWhorter is the other, our other campus pastor in Nashville. And um, 
if it, you know, we have very different personalities. And so that could cause some tension. It could cause some competition between us. Like I'm going to grow my campus more than you are, you know? Um, but we have been intentional to drop our ego, to challenge each other, to sharpen each other, um, to have honest conversations when we need to. And those have not always been pretty. Like there's some intense conversations um, where you work through some things, but at the end of the day, you, you know, you hug it out and say, Hey, we're part of the same team. And, and these challenging conversations actually make us stronger um, because we're not letting things just develop into bitterness that are unsaid, but we're putting everything on the table. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that makes us grow stronger when we can, when we can step into conflict and resolve it and get stronger on the other side. Uh, that's powerful. And so that those are the challenges we face, but, but also, you know, the benefits of saying like we can grow stronger because of of these two campuses working together. <clears throat> yeah. Do you want me to go into the benefits now, or do, or do you have sure. any, any? Well, no, I, I think that, that yeah, that's definitely. And like you say, you even in saying that, even in talking about the challenges, you actually, um, you know, kind of go into benefits of those challenges. <laughs> so, well, there's additional <laughs> benefits. Um, the challenges, and you know, I can say the same thing, having only only been around in a, in a campus pastoral for a few months, um, yeah. you know that that is true. You see the challenge, and yet even in that, there's still a benefit to that, um, sure as well. So yeah, go 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 ahead, go on. Well, and so much of that depends on your perspective too, right? I mean, you can you can see challenges as something that's a downward spiral, or you can see it as an opportunity for growth, and um, you know, it's just in my DNA to see it as a opportunity for growth. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and I just feel like, why wouldn't you see it that way? Um, and so, you know, the benefits, I think the, the greatest thing for me has been the new life, vision, energy, culture um, from the new campus to the original campus. Mm-hmm. So, when, when parents have a new baby, there's all this excitement and joy for this new baby, you know, and the baby didn't do anything. It was just born <laughs> and there's this inherent joy and new life. And so <clears throat> we've certainly experienced that in doubt because of, of what God has done in Maslin. And, uh, in the last two years, they've seen a lot of growth, you know, in the beginning, it's hard. You're working to get the, get the word out and help people catch the vision for the church. <clears throat> But um, the last few years, they've seen some significant growth, and that brings new life back to to the Dalton campus as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with that, you know, you become you become others focused instead of instead of self focused. So it's not just about the Dalton campus anymore. It's about okay, how do we how do we leverage growth in the Masson campus? Um, you know, how do we make sure that we're continuing to remind ourselves that we've got to look out for them as well as us. And that produces some some stretching, right? Financially and staff wise, um, like we've got a number of staff here. Um, I, off the top of my head, and I'm trying to remember, you know, full time and, and part time at, at the Dalton campus. But over ten staff at this location, and then um, two paid staff in Maslin. And so, when you look at that, it's like that's very unbalanced as far as numbers go. So there's some hard growth to say, okay, how do we staff Maslin, and what does that mean for Dalton? Um, so those are just hard conversations you have to have, but I think that stretching produces growth. 
and causes you to look, uh, to make decisions based on vision instead of necessity. And if you, and that's harder, like moving out of vision is hard, but it's, it will always uh, produce more growth and opportunity um, because you're moving according to, to the vision and not just what is necessary for the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I want to, I want to ask you, talk to you specifically about this, um, this campus in, in Dalton, because you were there and, and as the campus pastor, um, something that led me to talking to you today on this issue of cultivating health was this article that was written by Light and Life um, a few years ago. I'm not sure when the exact article came out, but it was about the Dalton campus. And it talked about how Dalton is a small town um, and the population was actually greatly reflected in in the church attendance, um, that that there was a lot of people from that small town that came. Um, so when we talk about church health, um, your your church is 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 uh, on that Free Methodist Cultivate Health website uh, on that uh, on that page as saying, hey, these are the people that they kind of know what they're doing here. Um, so first of all, it in that. Um, what what is the strategy there to reach out to people in the community? Sure. Well, and just to give you <clears throat> some quick numbers, in 2017, uh, the Dalton campus averaged 587 um, attendees per week, and our village has 1,830 people in it. So that means our church represents 32% of the population. Um, you know, one-third is a pretty significant number, and uh, so we're, we're honored to be able to, uh, you know, to have that kind of impact on our community. Um, I think what's important to mention, and this is, this is just kind of a side note to multi-site itself, but uh, many of the people who attend Living Water are from all over the county. So we're not just reaching Dalton, we're reaching, you know, Worcester. Um, we have a, a great couple that comes from Creston. We've got people from Smithville. And so... Um, you know, all over the place. So when that's part of how we need to start thinking is not just, okay, how many people come from your town, but how many people come from your county? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, because we're not taking horses to church anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, we've got Amish in our area, so some people do, I guess, but most of us will drive a car and people are willing to drive 15 minutes to, to come to a church that is growing and thriving and where they feel like they can experience God. So for those of you listening, I want you to remember that. Like, people are willing to drive. If, if you have a church that is pursuing God and moving, and life, life change is happening, people will drive and come to, to be a part of that, because they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And, and that is a part of why, um, you know, why we've been so successful in our community, there's this old adage that says, you know, if your church ceased to exist today, would your town notice? And I forget who said that, but, you know, it's just a great question. Like, would people notice if your church just folded? And I would say most definitely for Living Water. I mean, we're a vital part of the community. Part of that is, you know, just our church identity. Someone says, okay, who are you as a church? Just about every single person at Living Water would tell you that we are real people, living relevant lives, relentlessly pursuing new life in Christ. That's our vision. That's who we are. There's no question about that. So we want to be real. We don't want to be fake. We want to be genuine. We want to be relevant. We want to speak to the culture where they are. And we want to be relentless. That There's, there's nothing 
uh, we won't do short of sin to, you know, reach people and mm-hmm. help people grow. And, and so I, we just feel like that's really resonated with people, um, you know, with who we are. I think what's key is, you know, you, you have to be a church that anyone can show up in and feel home. I can't tell you how many people have said, I just feel home here at Living Water. And that's the greatest compliment for me because um, I love to have people in my home and, and serve food. My wife and I love to entertain and just help people come and relax and just open up and be real and experience transformation. And what would happen if they felt that when they came to our church? Like, what if we treated the environments in our church like we treat the environment in our home? Um, that's pretty powerful. And so that's kind of the way that we think about it. This includes like how we treat people, you know, are we accepting them no matter what, no matter what they look like, no matter what they smell like, no matter what their background is, you know, are we just welcoming them, uh, no strings attached to just come and be a part of us. Um, even our language, you know, sometimes I think people hear Christians and they feel like, we're speaking Spanish and they don't speak Spanish and they have no idea what we're saying. And because we have this Christianese that we, we like to speak to one another. And so we've got to learn to talk differently. Um, for example, we don't say sanctification from the stage unless we're explaining it and defining it. We say, uh, we're growing in Christ. We're becoming like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, we're becoming transformed. We're, ch- we're changing. Um, we always want people to know that there's a second chance. So there's some churchy words you could use for that, but for me, it's much more empowering to hear phrases like that. Right. And you want people to be able to connect with that and know what you're actually talking about. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. You know, lang- language is a big part of that. Um, like I said, environments are huge. So are, are people comfortable in your environments, um, in your worship gatherings, in your community uh areas, you know, is there a place where they can just sit down and talk? Um, you know, are they, are they comfortable there? And then I think the last part of identity is just, um, how do you reveal God? How do you communicate God's heart to, to your community? So, you know, we do this through what we call our code and this, these are like our values, but we like code better than values because it's like, this is how we live a value you can hang on the wall and forget about. A code is something that drives you. It's how you live. And so I'll just go through those real quick. Our, these are our code statements or our code axioms. Um, the first one is we're driven by new life. That's what gets us up in the morning. That's what empowers us is new life. Um, grace is a guarantee. And this goes back to, you know, do you welcome people from the moment they walk in your doors and give them grace? You know, no matter what, no matter what their background is, no matter what they've come from, we want people to feel like grace is a guarantee. And grace means that you are experiencing the power of Christ to live a transformed life. And that's how we want them to live. Um, third one is whatever it takes. You know, we want to have this drive, this tenacity to do whatever it takes to move the kingdom forward. Don't do life alone. That, of course, speaks to the importance of living in community. We are made for community. We are made for connection. And so we've got to live that way. Um, then the last one, this is my favorite one. God's not done. God's not mm-hmm. done. You know, yeah. he moved in miraculous ways in the past and in, in, in our history, in our old Testament, even in our new Testament. And he's not done. You know, the gifts are still active. He's still moving. 
um, there's still adventures that he's calling us to. And so, you know, if we feel tired and done, then it means we've lost God's heart because he is always moving forward, always pursuing those who are lost. Mm -hmm. He's never, never done. And we don't ever want to be done either. And so that's kind of the heartbeat of, of our church identity. Um, the other things too, I'll just mention these quickly and then, you know, we can kind of go into them as much as you want, but just being a part of the community, uh, community events. So we do like a trunk or treat, which is not anything new, but it's something that people love, you know, to to come to a safe place at the church around uh, Halloween and, you know, people decorate their cars, they can get candy from the cars. Um, the way the world is, is now, people are nervous about sending their kids into the community. But if you can take them to the church and, and feel like this is a safe place and people are comfortable with that and they get to know your church people and they feel like, hey, this is the place I want to be. Um, we've hosted the Aruna Run, which is a 5K fundraiser for the Aruna Project, um, which I highly recommend you check out that organization. They are freeing women from the sex slave trade in India. Hmm. And it's very powerful what they're doing. And so we're raising money for them to be able to free women. And so they free, empower, and employ uh, these women to not just leave the the slave trade, but actually be employed and empowered to live lives Hmm. of wholeness. And and what they do is just inspiring. So we've raised thousands of dollars for uh, the Arena Project through this 5K um, that we've been a part of as a church. Nice. Yeah, that's great. And, and, um, I've talked to, uh, we talked to Kevin Austin here and some other, other people about that, that modern day slavery. And, and so it's so good to have, I think every church should be involved in, in something like that. I think <laughs> in trying yeah, to, to sure. work in that area. The, the last thing, um, just real quick is, is mm-hmm. leading with generosity. Like when people see your church, do they see you um, excited to give? Do they do they feel like you just want them to come to your church, or do they feel like you really care about them enough to uh, lead with generosity? So what do I mean by that? We noticed at Living Water that we needed a place for people to connect, and not just our church, but the community. So we built what we what's called the Connection Cafe. It's this massive room, um, community room that's has everything you need as far as, you know, multimedia, PowerPoint, and all that. Um, And so we've had teacher in-service meetings at the Connection Cafe, baby showers, birthday parties, community organizations have used it, local businesses. And so people are literally coming into the church, not even for church, but for community gatherings, and they see it, and they're like, wow, this is amazing. I want to check out this church. So even just by providing a space for people to gather. And like I said, we live in a small town, so there there are literally no other gathering places like that in our town, except for the church, which to me is exciting. Like, we get to be that gathering place. Um, and I love that we, we took the step to do that. Um, the other thing is, over the last few years, we've done something around Christmas time called the Christmas Gift, where we choose a cause to support and... Um, Right now, Ohio leads the nation in uh, in drug overdose deaths, and mm-hmm. we are we are at ground zero for the opioid epidemic. And so, we partnered with a treatment center in our area that has a nine month inpatient program called it's called New Destiny Treatment Center, and uh, they they have um, helped 
helped men specifically. Uh, they have an outpatient program for men and women, but their inpatient program has helped um, help men overcome drugs, and their success rate is three times greater than the national average, which mm-hmm. is amazing. So they're impacting these guys' lives and helping them find freedom. So we said, let's this year, 2017, let's make our focus new destiny because we want to help overcome this epidemic. We want to do something about it. And so we raised over $61,000 for new destiny. Um, and it's just been like amazing. Our goal was 50,000. So we smashed it and so proud of our people for their generosity. Um, and so that, that money means that there are 10 new beds that can be at new destiny. Their capacity was 50 beds before. Now they, now it's 60. So we're giving more men the opportunity to experience their, their treatment program. And, uh, you know, I think when people hear those stories, they're inspired. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And if you're leading a movement as a church, then people notice and they want to be a part of it. So I think those are all key ways to, to reach the community. Yeah, that's great. I like how you ended that of, of saying that about, you know, that people want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And I've over the years, I mean, last 10, 15 years or so, I've just continued to think about that. Um, how, you know, uh, as Donald Miller had put it, he had said that we are all the main character in a story that God is writing through our lives. And so, I mean, just like any movie, there can be a really, really boring movie where it's just like, this This is the most boring thing you've ever seen. And nobody ever wants right. to go see a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it. So if there's bigger stories out there, you know, that's what people are really looking for. They're looking to be a, a part of one of those kinds of epic stories where, hey, I changed a life or I was a part of, like you said, you raised all this money. It's like, I was a part of raising this. And so that's, I, I like how you, um, how you specifically said that of, of just they're inspired by these stories and then they get to enter into the story, not just yeah. kind of like, wow, what a nice story, but they're actually a part of it as well. Um, yeah. So obviously like it, when we see a church in it and it's uh, splits off and not because of, of bad reasons, but it's, but it comes into a new campus. So that, that is a uh, example of a healthy church. It's growing. And so now there's two locations. Um, we also see, we've talked about the kind of population um, and what is represented from the county at, at your church specifically. Um, but mm-hmm. these are, these are examples of, or evidences of uh, the healthiness of, of the church. Um, so, First of all, let's let's kind of go back a little bit, and and, and yeah. I want to know um, what kinds of things do you think would lead to an unhealthy church? Sure. <clears throat> Number one for me is stuck leaders. Uh, Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church, says that um, you should never say my people are lazy or my people aren't generous or my people aren't growing. Um, you should say I have not led them to growth have not led them to thriving. I have not led them to, you know, you fill in the blank. Um, it's too easy to blame shift as a leader and just put it on, you know, your people. Um, and, and there can be frustrating times in ministry, no question. But as leaders, we have to take personal responsibility for the culture of our church. We have either allowed it to become what it is, or we've allowed it to stay the same. And so if there isn't growth and vibrancy in your own life as a leader, then how do you expect there to be growth and vibrancy in your church? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, here's a gut check for all of us, myself included. 
where are you unhealthy as a leader? Because there's a good chance that your church is unhealthy in the same way. Mm. So if you're stuck, then your church is going to be stuck in that same place. Yeah, It is up to us to lead our churches where they need to go, to change the culture. If you don't like something about your church, do something to change it, because you're the leader. And God has given you the responsibility to change it, and you have the authority and power to do that. Jesus said it, so do it. <laughs> you yeah, know, like, yeah. uh, that's just kind of me kicking us in the butt to say, let's, stop, let's drop our excuses. We have the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living within us, so let's use it. And let's go after what, you know, God has for our church. Um, So I'm I'm jumping too quick into the next question, but, you know, so where are you stuck? Where are you unhealthy? That's really important. We have to start there. Um, The second thing is gossip. And I would define gossip as having honest conversations with the wrong people. Yeah, that's really good. (laughs) I like that. You know? Yeah. Because, like, the, the problem is in honesty, like, you're going into great detail with people about your issue, about your frustrations, but it's with the wrong people. Right. Um, Because when we gossip, we're not courageous enough to talk to the person directly. And the the challenge with this is it leads to gossip and hurt, and it leads to brokenness. And, um, you know, once again, it has has to start from the top. Like, we cannot allow those sideways conversations to happen, you know, in our church staff and among our church people. we have to be willing to, to model honest conversations as leaders and then teach our people how to, how to go there um, because gossip is just incredibly dangerous and hurtful. Yeah. And so we've got to have honest conversations with the right people. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a minute too. I think the third thing, um, and for me, this, this is a big one, resistance to change. Mm-hmm. I think many people truly believe that change is bad. Like, no matter what, if it's change, it's bad. Why? Because change is uncomfortable, um, it's unfamiliar, and it's unknown. Yeah. You know, you're stepping into a place that that you haven't been before, something that's different than what you're comfortable with. And especially if you like what's going on and something changes, then you're like, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? Sure, Um, sure. But... So there's this resistance to change that I that I see, you know, no question. Um, in, in our context specifically, maybe maybe others don't see that as much, but I do feel like it's part of our, our human nature to resist change because we we fear the unknown. Yeah, and I think that's definitely. I think anybody listening can relate to that. Um, and, and I what reminds me of is uh, recently I think it was on the last episode or something like that. But we talked about uh, some of the. Um, results that have been coming from these churches that were experiencing the recalibration through Bishop Roller this past year, and how sure. great this recalibration has been. We we heard great things, and in the January Light and Life, there's a lot of quotes and evidences towards how uh, great this was. But that now that's after a year, people are able to see the evidence; they're they're happy with it. But on the front end, they say, "Well, all these things are changing. You know, these recalibrations. It's really different, and and you're not able to see into the future." It gets scary, um, and people don't embrace that change. Um, but right. I, I think that goes back to, to um, you know, just having faith in our leaders, especially, of course, um, one who's heading it up, Bishop Roller, having that faith to say, okay, well, I don't know if I can envision this. I'm kind of nervous about it. But, hey, I'm going to give it a try here and uh, and kind of wait to see those results. Um, 
and that leads towards the health, of course, and, and not the unhealth. But um, sure. on that, uh, Bishop Kendall had written about um, about cultivating health in our churches, and the first quote that he had, the first line stood out to me um, when he said, in the beginning, God created everything healthy and whole. And we know that. I mean, that's not some earth-shattering uh, thing for us to hear or, or some surprise to us. Um, but we sometimes forget about that potential. You know, God, uh, Jesus, he kind of asks us to bring that healthiness, that wholeness back into the creation, back into the community. Um, right. So we've talked a little bit about this, um, of course, throughout the whole interview, throughout our whole time. But if somebody out here is listening um, and they're they're wondering, you know, whether as a leader or even as a just a, somebody who's attending a church that's that seems to be dying, seems to be unhealthy, um, what steps could could be taken to bring our churches back to that healthy potential that God has made available to us? Sure. Well, I think what's key is, you know, probably one of the most quoted scripture verses that's so powerful, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You know, that speaks to potential. Like, there's great potential in that statement, and we have to keep our eyes on that in potential. If we lose sight of that, then we stop growing, because we lose a vision for what's what's possible. But on the other hand, if we realize that our, our godly potential is possibly limitless, and there's no end to the growth we experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's quote where he says, you know, in the end, I think we'll find that that hell began on earth, that it began when we stopped, we, when we refused to follow after God and we rejected him, that that's when hell began. And, it, and when we die, it's just a continuation of the way we are already living. Mm-hmm. And then he said, in heaven is, is the same way. If we pursue Christ, if we surrender all to him, then we begin to experience heaven now and we continue to live into that reality. Um, if that's the case, then, you know, we're beginning to experience that kingdom life now. And if, and then there's so much, you know, unlimited potential of what we can step into um, because of the power of, of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, I, I guess just starting there to say like, man, if there, if, if, God promises that we can be whole and healthy. Why wouldn't we go after that? And especially um, as free Methodists, you know, we believe that we can be sanctified, that we can keep growing, that there's never an end to um, how much we can become like Christ. Then, you know, like, let's get after it, right? Like, let's go as far as we can on that journey. And for me, it inspires me to say, um, I don't want to stop short. I want to keep going. Like, there's, there's so much potential there. So... Now you've got me going as a life coach, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I think once again, it starts with us as leaders, like to the extent that we thrive, our people will thrive. And so we've got a model for them. I remember, I remember in high school, one of my, my chemistry teacher, Mr. Graham said, everything rises and falls on leadership. Hmm. And I'll never forget that. You know, it, if you want to grow something, you have to step up as a leader and, and make it grow, make it become healthy. Um, I think two scriptures we need to stake our lives on are uh, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. What is that immeasurably more that he's calling us to? And then what what power is that talking about? Romans 8.11. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Okay? So 
if the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, then there's nothing that's impossible for you. Um, he wants to use you to do things that, that is immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. So we've got to catch a vision of that. We've got to take scripture at, a, at its word and say, okay, I'm going after it. I'm going to, I'm going to see this scripture come true in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and that is so important because scripture promises all over the place, you know, that God wants to make us healthy and whole spiritually, emotionally, um, relationally, mentally, and physically, but we are five dimensional people and he wants us to have wholeness in all five, um, of those layers. So I think the question is, how are we doing at that? <laughs> you know, just that gut check, like how are we doing in those areas? Um, I think part of it too is, so this is kind of tapping into the relational layer, but are we having empowering conversations? I think that there's part of our human nature that tends to to be more negative, pessimistic, giving critiques more than we give affirmations. And I think this is because it's incredibly opposed uh, by the enemy. Like we tend, when we think good things about people, we tend to keep those to ourselves. And mm-hmm. when we think negative things, we tend to speak those things. Yeah. <laughs> and it should, yeah, it should be the exact opposite, right? Like we should speak the truth in love as Ephesians four fifteen says, you know, mm-hmm. we should, do everything that we can to encourage others. We should do what it, you know, whenever we have anything positive to say to someone, we should say it because um, there's a good chance that God is speaking directly through us exactly what that person needs to hear. And so I think affirmation is so important, calling out the potential that we see in people um, because then that helps them become, you know, who they are. We talked about gossip earlier, I think, the healthy way of resolving conflict, of course, is Matthew 18. We've got to go to that person directly first and speak the truth in love and have an honest conversation. And if that person doesn't respond well to that, then we need to bring one or two other trusted people with us to have that conversation again. Then if they still don't respond well, then we take our case, you know, to the church leadership to get wisdom, to know how to move forward. Um, If they still don't respond well, then scripture said we treat them like a pagan or tax collector. And, and the question I love to ask about that is how did Jesus treat pagans or tax collectors? Yeah. Cause we, we, we tend to see, we tend to interpret that as, Oh, you just kick them out of your church. Then if they're a pagan, right? Well, no, Jesus, Jesus loves pagans and tax collectors unconditionally. In fact, yeah. he had disciples of his that were tax collectors, right? Yeah, so we right. have to start, start over with them. We have have to start over, introduce the grace of Christ to them, um, you know, almost treat them like they don't know Christ to to bring them back into living life um, with Christ and being teachable. So I think that, I mean, we can't reinvent the wheel. That's exactly how scripture teaches us to deal with conflict. So that's how we need to do it. And we need to, it starts with having the courage to talk honestly uh, with people face to face. Yeah, And I can't tell you how many people just refuse to do that. They just won't do it. And and it makes me frustrated because there's opportunities for growth, even in that relationship, if you're willing to have honest conversations. You know, those things take our relationships deeper. But if we won't work through conflict, they just stay at surface level all the time. Mm-hmm. I think the last thing is um, just realizing that change is good. The change leads to growth and health. 
Um, and the truth is healthy things change. If you think about a tree, you know, it changes in every season, at least here in, in, uh, in the North, you've got the beautiful buds in the spring and the flowers, and then you've got the leaves in the, in the summer and the leaves changing colors in the fall, then dropping the leaves in, in the winter. Um, a tree changes in the season. So if we refuse to change, then are we growing? Is that an evidence that we're not growing? Um, because change presents opportunities uh, for growth, new life, and even adventure, right? Like if, if we weren't willing to change as a church, then we wouldn't experience the, the benefits of multi-site, the new life of, um, I'm pretty sure the Madison campus has seen 50 people baptized since it started. Mm. And so, I mean, that would be 50 less people baptized if we weren't willing to to change right, to, yeah. to start our second site. Yeah. So we've got to start telling ourselves that change is good and that it leads to growth and new opportunities. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so I think a big word that comes to my mind uh, in this whole idea of cultivating health, um, and, and we've talked about this a little bit, but... Um, the the word that comes to my mind is unity because as you've as you've mentioned, um, there's ways that people can um, they're not if they're not having conversations if they're not uh, if they're gossiping obviously that is going to be lead towards divisiveness the uh, the opposite of unity right. and the opposite of health. Um, what's what's one thing that you would say? What is the the best way that that you would say is the best way to work towards unity? Uh, as a body of Christ? We have to start with focusing on the 95 and not the 5. <clears throat> what I mean by that is, um, and I speak from experience, coming from three different faith traditions, right, that um, we tend to focus more on the 5% that we disagree on than the 95% we agree on. Hmm. And and this can be among denominations, this can even be within our own churches, but you know, we find unity by shifting our focus to to the 95, to the common ground. Um, <clears throat> we've got to build bridges with people, and by seeing where we can, where we see eye to eye, um, and having grace for the places where we don't. You know, I think if we do that, we multiply instead of divide. If we focus on the 5%, then we just divide the work of Christ. We're fighting with each other instead of reaching the lost, you know? Yeah. But if we all like focused on that 95% that we say, hey, we're all passionate about reaching the lost, you know, we, we have this vision of Christ coming back and we, you know, we better fulfill the Great Commission. Like if we gathered around that vision, then we can move forward together and multiply our money and our resources and our, our talent um, for the kingdom. I think the other thing is um, make friends who aren't like you. And, and for me, this has been a, a very personal goal where um, I've been a part of a ministerial association in our in our area for the last five years. So we've got Baptist pastors in that group, Methodists, Charismatics, and everything in between. And uh, this year they let me be president. So I get mm. to lead, you know, these bunch of knucklehead pastors um, <laughs> as we move the kingdom forward in our area. And what's been great is over the last five years, um, these guys are truly some of my best friends in ministry. Uh, we're focused on the same goals. We're moving the kingdom forward. In fact, I just I mentioned the opioid epidemic that we're experiencing in Ohio. Yeah. We started talking about that with our network, and we said, you know what? We need to do something about this. Um, and that starts with a conversation. 
And so, and let's not just have that conversation with us. Let's invite the community into it. So literally just yesterday, we had a um, opioid epidemic community conversation, and we invited the community. 42 people came. Um, we had a, a police officer on our panel. We had a uh, director of two recovery programs on our panel. And I didn't know this, but our, our uh, county prosecutor actually showed up, and he had some great insight into uh, to the epidemic. And our um, the, the mayor of our town came. So you've got you've got significant people in attendance, and we're having this conversation about this important, crucial, you know, topic and conversation that's happening. And what made me so proud is that we we as pastors were leading that conversation. You know, if we didn't if we didn't say let's gather and talk about this, it probably would not have happened. And so often, I feel like the church is behind in those conversations. And so it was a joy to just say, hey, let's lead this conversation. Let's do something about it. Um, and because a bunch of pastors who from different faith traditions were willing to find common ground, we were able to invite the whole rest of the community into that same common ground, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and have that conversation and, and move forward and say, we want to be a force of change. And so I think that to me that yesterday was a beautiful picture of unity, not just within the church, but within the community, you know, and the, the common ground was we need to do something about this epidemic. We're not going to put our heads in the sand. We're not going to pretend it's, it's, it's not there. We're going to, we're going to do something about it and let's link arms um, and do that together. So that was incredibly rewarding to, uh, to be a part of that. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good, that's a good picture of that word unity. Um, there are so many different churches that are, are struggling with, with this. And, um, I think normally the first thought is, you know, locally, okay, unity, how do we, how do we achieve that unity within, you know, our local church? But, you know, even as you're talking about these other churches in the area, I mean, that's, that should be the case that it's not, oh, well, those are the Baptists over there. So we're not going to go over there. We're going to, you know, that's how it is in a lot of communities. Um, and, uh, it's, it really is meant to be, um, just people supporting each other in that, as, as you said, like the 95%, you may disagree on some things, but the 95% that you agree upon, um, that's Mm -hmm. what, what is, is, it's going to going to make that change make that unity in your in your community but also even then it reflect back into you know that that local church as well um right. i think there's in all the stuff that you said i'm going to have to write down some things as i listen to this again and uh there's a lot of good quotes that i think you had today <laughs> one oh, was the 955 thing there were some other things in there that were like oh that's really good the thing about gossip your quote on gossip i think there's some really good quotes uh, there so if you don't if you haven't used those before write those down and use those in the future <laughs> <laughs> i will thank you i i do uh love writing and and hope to write uh, book someday. So uh, now I'm recorded live saying that, so I better do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on with us today, and uh, we'll probably talk to you again sometime in the future. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Hey, I want to say one more thing that yeah. um, I just really appreciate you and what you're doing with this mm-hmm. podcast to just create conversation. I think uh, it's so huge in helping us stay connected and to move forward and, and find that common ground. And um, I believe in you as a young leader in our denomination. So thank you for what you're doing. And I'm excited to see um, your growth and your potential as you continue to, 
to become who God made you to be. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, and uh, and I'll keep up with you, and we'll we'll uh, we'll see each other at the very least at annual conference in a in a couple months already. So sounds good, man. Thanks again for having me.